Hi everybody, welcome to Beef and Lamb New Zealand Seen and Heard and today we're talking biosecurity or, or to give it our, our title Protecting Your Patch and we're talking some practical on-farm biosecurity tips. Um, sort of thing in New Zealand we're pretty lucky in biosecurity but then you think over the last few years and we've obviously had Embovis, before that we were dealing with Velvet Leaf and still are and even I think one of the big ones off the top of my head was Tyleria in the, in, um, with the ticks in the, in the cattle. So I'm joined today by Will Halliday who's Senior Advisor Biosecurity and Animal Welfare at Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Thanks Will. Um, well, let's start off the easy one. What do you do and what's your job and who are you? <laughs> yeah, good day, Aaron. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so I'm a veterinarian. Um, I've been at Beef and Lamb for three years now, um, which has been really fantastic. Great place to work. Um, I used to work in Gisborne as a practicing vet, um, so cut my teeth there as a vet and then went to MPI for three years. So I've seen a bit of the ins and outs of how diseases um, move and spread on a farm, between farms, um, but also how a bit of the, uh, the policy space works uh, in Wellington. So um, one of my big passions is, is keeping diseases out of farms and stopping them from, from spreading. Uh, and it's not just, um, not just those nasty exotic diseases that, that we hear about and some of the ones that you mentioned, but some of those ones that we've maybe learned to live with a bit as well. So you've, um, yeah, you've probably... Timing-wise, you came to Beef and Lamb New Zealand either at a good time or a bad time from the point of view of um, biosecurity with um, Embovis and things. So, um, look, um, something's playing with the lights in here. It's going on and off. Never mind, that doesn't affect a podcast. Hey, look, um, listeners hopefully will remember, a number of them will listen. We actually had did a podcast a couple of years about you and I, and, and um, we touched base and decided it was time to update this one. So... We're going to go through the, the seven intervention points, which is how we sort of sum it up at Beef and Lamb New Zealand, the key on-farm biosecurity issues. But what's come up in the last couple of years? What's changed? What's updated? What's the, the new stuff? Cool. So we've seen uh, quite a, a drastic uh, reduction in the number of farms with Embovis mm-hmm. is, is probably the, the biggest thing. Uh, we've now got it um, pinned down to a small area, yep. um, South Canterbury, um, and well on the road towards eradication now. So... You know, arguably that's been quite a success for mm-hmm. the industry. Um, the other big one, of course, that everyone's talking about is COVID. Mm. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, now everybody knows what an epidemiologist is yep. <laughs> and, and, and maybe has a, a fair idea about what they do. Um, so, you know, we've, we've managed to trace and track ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, human populations, and, um, and, and keep... Uh, an eye on a, on the spread of a human disease, and I think that's a really good analogy for how we can um, manage animal diseases yep. as well, um, and to a lesser extent, the movement of pests um, and plant pests, etc. So we did quite a few podcasts back, and I think maybe done one with you around Embovis when it first hit, and we were trying to do all sorts of information channels to get about Embovis, but we're down to, I think, was it three farms infected last update? Yeah, yeah, currently sort of uh, ticking around that three yeah. to four uh, mark. Confident it's going to be eradicated? I am, yes. Yep, in progress of So one of the things, I mean, obviously, um, Embovis, we've talked about, um, we're pretty confident it's going to be eradicated, down to about three. Uh, no disease is good, and that we're going to talk about that in, in the biosecurity podcast as we go through. But I guess if we had to have one, Embovis, in a way, 
there's a lot worse ones out there and, and, and was one of the silver linings with that at least it's it, we've learned a lot of lessons and we're probably better prepared now if something worse arrived. Sure, so one of the objectives of the program was to uh, come out the other end of Bovis with a more ro- robust um, and fit for purpose biosecurity system and uh, we've had a, an independent review of the response um, come through and that's thrown up some um, areas of improvement uh, which is you know, really what we want to see. So, yeah, absolutely. I think um, we're in a better space now, um, biosecurity-wise, than we were beforehand. Yeah. So we, we've, we've already launched into it and talked a wee bit about it, but what do we mean when we talk biosecurity? Cool. What are we talking about? What does it encompass? So what biosecurity is, it's managing risk, essentially. Um, and risk has two parts to it, okay? There's the likelihood that something's going to happen or, or that something's going to appear on your farm that you don't want but then there's the consequences of that happening uh-huh. so let's take for example something like foot and mouth disease the likelihood of foot and mouth disease appearing on your farm in New Zealand is really really low uh-huh. but the consequences of it are devastating yep. okay um, but then the other end of the spectrum um, Facial eczema, okay, the likelihood is actually quite high, but the consequences are relatively manageable. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so there's a spectrum of it there, and the the whole idea of it is is managing those risks as best you can. So so, facial eczema is probably a good one. I mean, foot and mouth, we're doing our damnedest to keep it out of the country, and if it did arrive, keep it out of farms. There's others like facial eczema where best will in the world we can't keep it out, you know, that's not, you can't just put a gate up and, and keep it out. So biosecurity is not just about keeping things out, it's about saying if they come, how best to respond and deal with it. Absolutely, because there are ways to manage things like facial eczema, and that would be through uh, genetics, you know, buying facial eczema um, tolerant rams, for mm-hmm. example, to, to put those genetics through your flock, um, or, you know, zinc capsules, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, there are ways to mitigate it. Yep, and so you talk about that risk and consequence and something might be high risk but low consequence or low risk, high consequence, but that sort of leads into the, there's categories, I guess, of biosecurity risks. Yeah, so, so reasonably broad categories um, that, that I like to think about. Um, whether the top one, the, the national disaster, would be something like foot and mouth mm-hmm. coming into the, into the country. You know, it's an exotic disease. It would have um, disastrous implications for trade for us, for example. Um, next tier would be things that we've got here um, that we know are here and they do have consequences but we really try to avoid them spreading around from farm to farm so things like bovine TB um, BVD, drench Mm -hmm. resistance things like that, we know they're here they're bad um, and we do our best to get get rid of them Um, underneath that are the ones that I I tend to think of, you know, these are the ones that we just put up with Mm -hmm. Um, and that is things like uh, facial eczema to an extent, foot rotten sheep, mastitis and dairy cows, you know, we just live with them and and I think that, you know, there is the possibility that we can can actually do some good by by managing those better. Yeah, and putting up, I mean, doesn't just, we give up and just live with them, we do still actively work to manage them, it's just they are... Oh, facial eczema is a good one. Best will in the world. Yeah, it's just part get, of yeah. it's just part of farming, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things that you know, just part yeah. of everyday life. Yeah. yeah. Okie dokie. Um, 
So that's the, the various risks. Now, one of the documents, and we'll link to it in the blurb for this, is Beef and Lamb New Zealand's um, dry stock biosecurity guidelines, which I think we also collaborated with Deer Industry New Zealand on those. That's so they're across sheep and beef and deer as well, they apply. Um, and that is based around, it talks about risk, but the seven key interventions. So I think we're going to work through those now. Yep, absolutely. I don't know, what do you want to list what they all are, or we just go through I, one by one? I can one? do that right now, yeah, yeah. So we'll list them off now, and then we'll talk them talk to them um, each in turn. First one, um, livestock movements, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, Diseases move with animals, we know that, so that's really important. Uh, Second one is animal health management. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third one is people and equipment. The fourth one is feed and water. Uh, Then pest control. Mm -hmm. Animal waste and carcass management. And tying it all together is shared knowledge and understanding. Okay. So we'll work through those one more. And some of them people might not have initially thought of as obvious sort of biosecurity issues. Um, and one of those will pull up. The other one I just want to point out here, we, you have a small workshop presentation around this, don't you? We, this isn't just listening to the podcast or reading the book. You're out and about doing this with small groups of farmers. Yeah, we, we have. Unfortunately, COVID sort of put the kibosh <laughs> on that. It's, it's sadly ironic, I guess, that a, that a disease... Um, prevented us from doing a biosecurity <laughs> um, presentation. But, yeah, that, that is a workshop that we have um, ready to go yep. if, if and when anyone should want one in, yep. their, uh, in their patch, yeah. Yep, and so we're, we're back into those sorts of things now, you know, COVID welling and with the various protocols around it. So if it's something you think you or your your community group, your discussion group would be interested in, then by all means get in touch with your local Beef and Lamb New Zealand rep, your extension manager, or give us a call on the 0800 number or something like that, and we'll, we should be able to um, try and get this one out to you. All right, livestock movements, and that's the big one people think about. What's the, the key points there? Yeah, look, um, the, the big one with livestock movements is, yeah, like I said, um, animal diseases move with animals, okay? So I really, really want to get people thinking about doing their homework um, if, if they're bringing animals onto their farm, and that's where they're purchasing them, bringing them on for grazing, or whatever. So, you know, you're not just thinking about those 400-day weight gains or, mm-hmm. or, or anything like that. You've got to think about what other things might be coming with those animals. So um, diseases, genetic diseases potentially, um, drench resistance, um, but then also things like pests and weeds. What, um, you know, what, what, what seeds might be coming yep. in the fleece of those sheep or whatever that, that you don't want. So the... A really good way to um, to mitigate or to manage those risks is quarantine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's keeping those animals separate from your um, main herd or your main flock um, for a period of seven to fourteen days, um, and that'll be in a, yep. in a in a quarantine paddock. Yep. Um, and that gives you the opportunity to provide some treatments to those animals if they're required. Give them a dip, give them a quarantine drench, um, or any vaccinations that they they might require. Yep. And that, that quarantine too, one of the key things, that's, uh, it's the time but it's in space as well. You're not just um, keeping them separate for 14 days or in that paddock for 14 days. You don't want others nearby or when they go out yeah, to graze, you won't be immediately following them with some of your own stock, that sort of thing. You want to no, it, yeah, you're quite right, Aaron. So, you know, there's actually quite a, a few diseases that can pass between cattle, for example, mm-hmm. um, simply through nose-to-nose contact with yep. each other. And we know that cattle are curious creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, new ones appear in the paddock next door, and they'll, they'll straight away go up and, and give them a, a sniff or a lick or whatever and investigate them. So, yeah, preferably um, in an isolated paddock. Yep. Yep. 
And we've covered, I mean, the big one that certainly when we talk to farmers, internal parasite management's a big one. We've got quite a lot of resources, but that quarantine is not just the time, but as you say, it gives you the opportunity to do some sort of quarantine treatment. Yeah, so hopefully um, you'll have an idea um, of, of the parasite status of the animals yep. before they arrive. Um, but, you know, if in doubt, um, keep them separate. Mm-hmm. And um, if you know what, uh, you know, what drenches are, are effective yep. on your property, um, yeah, then, then you can go ahead and treat them with that and keep them on that paddock for yep. a bit. So once you've got them on your own place, you own them, you've got control of them. But what you don't know is before you bought them, before they arrive, that sort of thing. How, I mean, is it feasible or how do farmers go about maybe trying to find out what they might be buying that they can't see? Well, start a conversation, yeah. really, is, is my, um, my best advice on that one. Um, no harm in just asking, really. Um, you know, have, have these been vaccinated? Have they yep. had their five and one? Uh, did you give them a drench recently or, or whatever? Have they been dipped? You yep. know, it's, it, it's easy stuff and it shouldn't really cause any offence, I wouldn't think. Yeah. No, <laughs> and part of that, the animals now do come with not a passport as such, but with their... Their, their status declaration? Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah, so so sheep, cattle, um, deer, um, and pigs, in fact, um, travel with an ASD, yep. um, animal status declaration. So that will have things on there like, you know, whether or not they were born on the source mm-hmm. property. Um, so it gives you an idea of, of where else they may have been throughout their life. And then obviously cattle and deer, um, part of the NATE system. Yep. Um, and so, you know, you'll have that record um, of mm-hmm. where they've come from. Um, and that stays with them um, for the rest of their yep. life. So the flip side of that as well is that in the event that there is a disease outbreak, um, NATE and ASD records are really invaluable for mm-hmm. tracing, for, for the authorities to trace um, where those animals have been and, and who they may have been in contact with. And, you know, I could put it out there pretty well that even though NATE may have had its issues mm-hmm. over the years... Um, without it, um, it would have been an incredible challenge to yeah. get where we are yeah. um, with Mbovis. In yes. fact, we, we it, yeah, may, may not have been a feasible option yeah. to, to attempt eradication. So, you know, we, there was a lot of focus on the, the errors, that it wasn't perfect, there were lots of mistakes, etc. But even in a, I don't know, flawed's the right word, but imperfect is probably the better way, state, mm. Nate has actually worked. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say so. It's, it's, it's achieved yep. part of its purpose, for sure. And the other thing, you know, people, um, paperwork's a, a hassle, etc. cetera, but um, I think most people would be aware. But just want to explain how animal ASDs have gone to an electronic version too. Is that... Mm. Yeah, that? so that is a, a transition that is beginning mm-hmm. right now, um, is, yes, a, a move towards electronic or EASDs. Um, so that's something to keep an eye out yeah. for now. It's not widespread just yet. It's being trialled, okay. um, but it's looking quite promising. What's the plan there? Will it replace paper, or is it just going to be an option, which whenever you... There it? will be a period where both are acceptable, mm-hmm. for sure, um, but that is the ultimate plan, is yep. that everything will be electronic. Yeah. And is that then because in the event of an outbreak, it's much easier for tracing to take place when it's all online, recorded? That's Yeah, that, yeah. that's uh, exactly right. Um, and look, the last thing in terms of livestock movement is about bringing stock on, but I guess um, 
uh, things don't always arrive in a truck. Sometimes animals no. make their own way onto your property <laughs> through the neighbourhood. So boundary fencing is something, I guess, within Bovis, certainly there was a lot of stress on it, but some of the key points there? Yeah, so critical, uh, really, boundary fences. Um, your boundary fence, I, I guess you should look at like a border. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your farm, which is your little country, and the boundary fence is the border. Yep. And you want to try and protect that. So if you can mitigate the risk of unintended livestock movements, mm-hmm. um, then then all the things that come with those livestock, you know, you're mitigating yep. the risk of those too. Um, yeah, so, so maybe having a... A monthly check of all your mm-hmm. your boundary fences, something like that, and, and just keep a log of where there might be weaknesses and mm-hmm. uh, improvements required is a good idea. But also maybe shoring up those defences in in terms of perhaps double fencing, putting mm. putting an outrigger on there to prevent that nose to nose contact yeah. with your neighbour's stock. Um, shelter belts are a great yep. one. You know they they actually give multiple benefits. One of them being um, that physical separation between livestock. Mm. Yeah, so it's not just an animal coming onto your place, it's the fact just that animals may have that nose-to-nose contact over it. It may be a perfectly good brand-new fence, Absolutely. if cattle can touch noses over the top of it, then it's... Yeah, yeah, and, and we know that things such as foot and mouth disease, for example, can easily transmit mm-hmm. in that fashion. Yeah. yeah. Did they... Um, I mean, it was talked about a lot. It was shown, found, there's been cases of embovis transfer in that way in, in this last... Uh, yeah, um, there, there's suspicion yep. um, that that has happened. I guess you can never prove it for we, sure. But yeah, it's difficult to prove. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the main way that bovis was transmitted was actually by simply by livestock yep. movement. On the track. Yep. Cool. All right, look, second intervention one, um, and obviously I think we, you sort of start here with some of the, the main ones that people think of, but, and so the second one is a biggie, animal health management. What's mm. um, the recommendations? And I guess the things that people might not have thought of in this this key intervention. Right. So the key with animal health management is, you know, these are the diseases that we have already, really. Um, but by applying biosecurity principles to those, mm-hmm. we can um, improve the resilience to anything else that yep. might come in. Okay. So really the number one is, is records. Mm-hmm. What have you done with these animals? Um, any illnesses that they may have had, you know, make a record of it, make a record of what treatment they were given, you know, their response, etc. Et okay, so, um, and it comes down to having an animal health plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, now we've got a, um, a booklet here, and Aaron's actually, yep, he's yep. got a copy of it that he's <laughs> demonstrating to me, and that's our sheep and beef cattle uh, health review workbook. So you can, you know, farmers can work through this, um, and and essentially it's it's the building blocks that go into an animal health plan that you can take to your veterinarian um, as a recommend a, a record of uh-huh. you know your objectives um, and your your livestock management practices um, and and come with that plan. Yep. I think we've got to we'll we'll put a link here so. Make yeah. having a copy it doesn't That's work the well. Best on a, way. On no. a we'll put a link in the blurb. You can find it on the Beef and Lamb New Zealand website as well. Um, we've got hard copies we've seen here. I'm pretty sure there's an electronic version, isn't there? There's a Oh, there's all sorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I mean the, the, that Beef and Lamb New Zealand got theirs. Most vets have all got versions as well, but it's yes. just about having some of the stuff you've got to record because um, as a good uh, a mentor once told me the was it the bluntest pencil remembers better than the sharpest mind that, yeah that's excellent I like that um, so I mean you know when it comes to animal health plans there's a lot that we can learn from our 
our colleagues in the pig and poultry industries, mm-hmm. actually. Um, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. Yep. Um, they've got a lot of capital tied up in, 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 these, in their breeding um, herds and breeding flocks, for example, and so they, they have immaculate records of all treatments, etc., that, that go on. So, yeah, it, 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 it is a real help to your veterinarian. It's a real help to you and your business. Yep. So recording and planning, writing things down, which is, you know... Um, it's not everybody's necessarily everybody's favourite part of, of farming, but it's becoming more and more of it, and we're trying to make things as easy as we can. But the things that people do enjoy, looking after livestock, and particularly mm. breeding. I mean, breeding mm. for resistance and or tolerance of diseases has become a lot more effective, I think, in the last decade or so. And, and yeah, there's some really good opportunities out there that are probably still underused. Oh, yeah, I would, I would dare say. Um, and there are also um, new opportunities that are, that are coming out all the yep. time. So, you know, breeding for facial eczema tolerance, um, for example, that's the, the obvious one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been going on in sheep in New Zealand uh, since the 80s, actually, yep. um, and has been very, very effective. Um, so, you know, parts of the, the country that would otherwise be devastated by facial eczema, yep. you know, uh, remain productive. Um, with... Climate change, um, you know, we are seeing um, facial eczema creeping into areas where it hasn't traditionally mm-hmm. been seen, um, and so the introduction of those genetics has been valuable yep. for those farmers there. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, I know did a little bit of work with facial eczema, and there's no silver bullets there, but breeding for tolerance is as close to a bronze bullet as you'll get. It, it you know, yep. it's work, it's permanent, it's cumulative. I think the other thing with some of these disease resistance things... Um, and again, we can find out more information about these from Beef and Lamb New Zealand. We have workshops on them. Is a lot of farmers have felt that they're getting their production levels, you know, certainly the lambing percentage, where they don't want to necessarily go a lot higher because then they start having you know, high fecundity, lots of triplets, those sorts of things. But that's then the opportunity to maintain those level of production and bring in things that make running stock easier. So breeding yeah. for tolerance, resistance, um, and there's some really good genetic... Um, genetic gain being made out there in, in the industry. Yeah, and I think a, a good point there, actually, is that an animal that is inherently healthy mm-hmm. um, and well-fed yep. um, is is far more likely to be able to successfully fend off disease, yep. any disease that, that comes toward it as well. Um, so, yeah, having just those inherently yep. resilient livestock goes a long way. Yeah. And it just saves time and money, not having to get That's animals right. in and treat and yep. or um, deal with, etc. So, um, look, yeah, animal health management, we've touched on quarantine on that, but I think the next point, and it's really interesting, people, sheep and beef farmers think about the sheep and beef cattle, yep. but nearly all of them have other animals on the farm that they mm-hmm. probably need to take account of too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's a really good point. Just, you know, one question I love to ask people is, um, could you get through shearing if half of your dogs were crook? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I've seen that happen on yep. a large station um, where, you know, there was an outbreak of kennel cough, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of like a, a, a flu type condition mm-hmm. um, in dogs. And uh, yeah, they um, out of fifty dogs on this large station, uh, thirty of them got kennel cough. Yeah. Um, and this was in the first week of December. Yep. And uh, yeah, so suddenly they found themselves with Just several thousand yeah. ewes and lambs that required shearing. And uh, yeah, there were some pretty fit shepherds by the end of summer, <laughs> I think, <laughs> on that one. So that's you know, so, yeah. so you, you really need to ask yourself that question: Can, can I get through crunch times of the mm-hmm. year without my dogs? Um, and so that's why, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely recommend keep them vaccinated and, and keep your yep. dogs well fed and healthy. But uh, as well as that, you know, there's parts of the country where a lot of mustering um, is still done on horseback. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, encourage people to, to you know, maintain the health of, yep. of your horses as well. Um, but then you've got those other sort of sundry animals that people have on their farms. You know, you mm. might have a couple of pigs out the back. You might have, you yep. know, chooks or turkeys or geese or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, they, they might not necessarily be um, a, a production animal for you, but they can harbour diseases that mm. can affect your uh, production animals or harbour diseases that can affect you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and at the very least, you know, if any of them get sick, um, then, you know, it is hmm. an animal welfare issue. So you do need to consider yeah. these things. No, and it's the bacon for breakfast, the ham for Christmas, the eggs, and etc. Um, I, yeah. I guess the point here is, you know, without getting too specific, it's worth adding these animals that you might not initially think of into your animal health plan as well. And just Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, just, yeah, just to... To reiterate that point is that you know some of these animals do carry diseases that can affect mm-hmm. people, um, and I always like to to just remind people that there is one animal that is the most important one on the farm, yep. and that is you. Yep. Um, and so you know, pigs can um, you know they, they they can infect people with lepto. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've seen people with lepto; it's not a disease mm-hmm. you want to get. Um, you know, there's 100 people end up in hospital with lepto every year in New Zealand and, and I'd like to think that none of our sheep and beef farmers uh, yeah. become one of those statistics. Well, I can recommend, we've got a short <laughs> podcast actually with Matt Wyeth, who yes. uh, a number of people know, who actually came down with leptospirosis. When he was on Stuart Island, I think, and he thought it was just um, some people wake up quite ill when they've done a trip to Stuart Island <laughs> in the morning too, but it didn't get any better and it got worse and he had to be helicoptered out and, and it was um, yeah. near fatal. So... Um, yeah, well worth listening to, and I think underrated. And look, the last one um, in animal health management is about involving the vet. And I know yeah. it came to me. I was watching Clarkson's Farm. I don't know if you've seen that the other that, that show, but anyway, um, in the UK, Jeremy Clarkson. But everything that happened with, and he only had forty or fifty sheep. There was a vet called to do X, Y, and Z. And I know a lot of New Zealand farmers tend to uh, laugh about that or roll their eyes a wee bit, whereas we tend to treat with a sharp knife across the throat, uh, pretty <laughs> or, or self-diagnosis. But is that something? I mean, Embovis has probably been a good wake-up call that we maybe we've underutilised their vets a wee bit as part of our just general animal health plan rather than a crisis issue. Yeah, I I, I think when you've got sick animals, mm-hmm. you know, the experts in that are your vets, right? Yep. If your tractor breaks down, you get the mechanic. Uh, you know, yep. you get the experts involved. Now, I'm not saying that you call the vet every time one of your sheep sneezes. Yeah. But um, certainly if, if you're seeing a syndrome, you know, something occurring in, in your animals that mm-hmm. you're not familiar with or, or that you've got questions about, yep. or it is causing you a significant um, problem or an animal welfare issue, yeah, absolutely, call your vet. Yep. You want to try and find out what it is because then you can figure out how to mm. stop it. Yeah, and I think one of the things we've stressed a wee bit, facial eczema again, we keep referring to it, it's the subclinical uh, issue that's often the bigger problem on farms rather than cl- by the time you see clinical you've probably had a significant issue so sometimes it is worth um if you think there's an issue doing a bit of a a, a, a professional investigation there to see what what may be going on absolutely all right that's we're getting through some of the big ones number three and this is again i said you know some of them people don't think of and we just talked about animals other than your, your farm animals that we want to people and equipment people, i think a lot of farmers probably initially don't immediately think of this as a biosecurity issue. But. Yeah, yeah, so this can have um, quite wide-ranging um, effects as well, Aaron, um, not just in terms of animal health, but in terms of pasture health as well. Yep. So if you're thinking about, um, you know, if, if, if you've got contractors coming on to, to mow your hay, bale your hay or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, where have they 
just come from? Yep. Have they actually cleaned down all their equipment? What kind of seeds and things yep. could they be tracking around the community on their equipment? Um, you know, there's plenty of plant pests out there, and it's something I've had to certainly study up on mm-hmm. as a as a veterinary yep. <laughs> person over the last three years. I've I've learned a fair bit about you know weeds and seeds and whatnot. So. That it's probably something that people need to think more mm-hmm. about. And you mentioned velvet leaf um, earlier yep. on. Um, there's things like, you know, nacella tussock in the south and, and Chilean needle grass, mm-hmm. which is appearing, um, you know, in, in Hawke's Bay and, and Marlborough, et cetera. So, yep. yeah, there's things like that that I think, you know, people need to think about. You know, not only, you know, where's your, um, you know, who's the contractor or whatever coming onto your farm, but what are they bringing with them? Where have they been? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, the, I mean, COVID's probably really brought this to the forefront again. And it, it's not easy on farm, but personal hygiene, because there are some of those zoonoses, and we mentioned Lepto, that yeah, are yeah. not just irritating or annoying, but they are deadly. Some of them can be. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, it's, it's as simple as washing your hands mm-hmm. a, a lot of the time. Just wash your hands. Um, you know, the classic is, you know, you're baking an egg pie at docking time or <laughs> <Yep>. whatever, <laughs> you know. But, um, but yeah, just simply wash your hands before you do that kind of thing. Because oh, I think we're all pretty uh, familiar now with bloody hand sanitizer, and that sort of thing will do the job for... Should do, but yep. um, there's a point that I'll touch on later on as well, is that um, hand sanitizer is a disinfectant, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but it's not going to work if your hands are caked in okay. mud, blood, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, you're, you're best to, to really wash all that stuff off, mm-hmm. you know, clean them, and then disinfect. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Fourth one, and you sort of alluded to it here: feed and water. Um, and obviously, Imbovis suddenly brought to mind that it's not just people think about bringing on weed seeds, but we can actually feed and water can bring on animal diseases as well. Yeah, exactly. So you know, the big one for bovis was actually milk and colostrum and that was um sort of unrecorded mm-hmm. um movements of, of milk and colostrum to, you know to mm-hmm. neighbors farms or whatever to, to help yep. feed calves and and you know we've, we've all done it um mm-hmm. we've had um you know orphaned lambs or orphaned calves or whatever and, oh gee you know we need to feed this yep. thing we'll just nip down to the dairy farm grab a bucket of milk and, and bob's your uncle mm-hmm. um but you know without even thinking that, that that's actually a biosecurity risk yeah. Um, but then also things like bringing on hay and silage, and, and unfortunately we do see this um, in, in drought um, mm-hmm. periods, um, and also you know when there's been things like fires and, and whatnot that people have to bring in hay and silage. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they can be bringing on um, seeds mm. um, in those products. Um, so I guess if if it's something you do routinely um, to, to to buy in extra feed like that. You know, you can strike up that conversation with the person you're buying it from. Yeah. Hey, can I come and have a look at the paddock where it came from? Mm-hmm. Um, get some sort of assurance um, that you know what's coming with it. Um, as well as that, you know, we've got things like supplement feeds. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so these, when I talk about supplement feeds, I'm talking about the stuff that comes in a bag. Yep. Okay. Generally, these are going to be pretty safe. Um, or really safe, as long as you use them for their intended purpose. Mm. Okay. Um, one yeah, really important example um, is you might see on your chop food, for example, mm-hmm. or, or even on some horse foods, it'll say, you know, um, do not feed to ruminants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. Now, there's a really important reason for this. Um, 
in the UK when they had their big outbreak of bovine spongiform encephalopathy, BSE or mad cow disease, um, you know, it was discovered that that um, some of these feeds that were being given to cows contained ruminant protein. Mm. So that's your blood and bone meal that comes from from your rendering plant at the at the slaughter plant. So your chook food and some of your pig food actually contains this stuff, mm-hmm. um, and we don't want that stuff getting into the mm. ruminant food chain. Yeah. Not saying that we have the, the disease in New Zealand, because we don't, um, but uh, it's actually a condition mm. of, of our export yeah. uh, into other countries. And there's still those feeds out there, you know, and you might be tempted to give a handful to the pet lamb or something like that. That's the sort of... That, that's the level of... Don't yeah. give the chook feed to the pet lamb, for example. Exactly. Um, you know, make sure your pet lambs have, have their own paddock or whatever, separate from yeah. everything else, they, that they can't just graze your, your chook food, um, and that if you've got horses that you're feeding, you know, feed them off the ground or in their own, mm. in their own paddock. Because you can, and I know this through personal experience, there's still blood and bone fertiliser, for example, yep. available at the local garden store, which you may put on your veggies or something like that. Yeah, it was just I, down in Mitre 10 on the weekend, yeah. actually. So. And I learned this the hard way because I've got a Labrador. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, that, what's the risk if you put blood and bone on the home garden and then the scraps from the home garden go out to stock? Is that an issue? Or are we, we're just talking, we don't want animals directly eating you, those. You, you're starting to clutch at straws there a bit, Aaron, yeah. but um, yeah. you know, bottom line is you don't want your livestock having direct access yeah, direct to this, access. To this yep. stuff. Okay. Now, flipping that on its head as well is the offal from uh, your home kill mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Um, you don't want your dogs getting into that. And, and I would think that most farmers would know why. Mm-hmm. It's because of um, Cystocircus yep. ovis or uh, sheep measles, okay? We've got it on the run in mm-hmm. most um, yep. um, most regions now. Um, Dan the man has been yeah. out there with his posters yeah. and, and his billboards and, uh, yeah, seems, seems to be um, having a, a great couple of years um, keeping the numbers down. So, yeah. It's one of those things, though, as it sort of disappears from mind, it's, we see the odd flare up every song because people forget. And, yeah, that's really why why I want to keep this podcast up to date yep. and current, to be honest, Aaron, is, is just to keep that thinking out there. Yep. Yeah. So, again, that's one, uh, sheep measles, treating the dogs, that's um, the sort of thing in your animal health plan. Yeah, treating, treating your dogs and making sure that if you do want to feed offal, that it's either frozen, mm-hmm. um, minus 10, for 10 days um, or that it's fully cooked yeah awesome now one of the other ones and this actually ties with a lot of the other stuff we're doing drinking water Mm. Um, Mm. we've done a lot of work there's there's good environmental reasons there's good stock production reasons for trying to get as much reticulated water as possible away from dams but dam water can actually be a bit of a, a health risk can be a health risk. Um, biggest one would be liver fluke. Yep. Okay. Um, so part of the life cycle of the liver fluke uh, is in a freshwater snail. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, you know, for example, cattle come down to drink at a dam, they suck in great big gulps of water and invariably they, they take up some yep. of those snails um, in it. Um, and then they end up infested with liver fluke. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, if you can provide that reticulated water through a trough, um, then the likelihood of taking in these mm. snails is, is virtually nil. Um, and, and we've seen some great results with, with farms that have put in these yep. water schemes. Um, yeah, and, and yep. their liver fluke count has just gone down overnight. No, it's, look, I can, again, I keep referring to a lot of things, but certainly on our website we've got some um, reports and studies on, on putting in reticulated water schemes. And they're not easy, and there's a capital cost, but the return on the investment was dramatic in terms of stock production and then there's obviously the benefits of improved stock health 
And there's going to be the um, indirect benefit with, you know, as we come into more and more pressure on hill country with our management of the environment, of water quality, water quantity and those sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, totally. And, and maybe, you know, to a point you're mitigating that risk of your dams drying up in the yep. drought season, um, bogs drying yeah. up and so on. So, yeah. Not an easy one, you know, and certainly New Zealand hill country, but as I say, there's some really good material looking at um, to, to help you make that decision around the, the return on the, and there's no doubt there's an investment needed, but that there is a good return on that investment. Um, another one that, um, yeah, I, I actually, it's interesting this one, I see this advertised a lot in job adverts at the moment. Um, they don't call it pest control, they call it hunting opportunities, but there's a lot of jobs <laughs> advertised that there is hunting on the property, but... Um, it's a good recreation source of food, etc. But there's some serious outcomes we want from pest control as well. Um, not just big animals like deer and pigs and so on, but um, lots of the little ones as well. Yeah, lots of the little ones as well. So rats and mice, uh, for example, around mm-hmm. your buildings, around your sharing sheds and so on, um, getting into your feed stores. Um, you know, rats and mice are actually a great source of lepto. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we talked about that with pigs before. Um, yeah, so you don't want them um, doing yep. that. You don't want them spreading it through your feed, um, through your livestock, and therefore in, it potentially into you either. Um, but you also mentioned the larger larger animals. Um, so you've got the deer. Yep. Um, obviously, they can carry uh, bovine TB, um, mm-hmm. which we don't want. Um, so can pigs. Um, and, you know, even some parts of the country, you've got, um, you know, a lot of goats. You've even got feral sheep and cattle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keeping these out of your main um, livestock yep. flocks and herds, um, you know, that, that protects you against any of the diseases mm-hmm. that they might have. And, it, you know, this might come down to your boundary fencing as well, but, um, you know, certainly pigs and deer and things like that, they can be really hard to keep out. Yeah. So it's just a fact that... Uh, a matter of monitoring and, and removing them in whatever uh, <laughs> by whatever yeah. means necessary. I know you know it's been in the news lately, and I certainly know a few farmers directly have had the deer numbers. Have re- they like seeing a few deer come back mm. after the lows, mm. after live recovery and, and venison recovery. But now they've got to the point where um, it's getting a bit ridiculous. There's that issue in terms of what they eat and, and for pigs, some of the damage they do, that sort of thing. Um, certainly with deer, I mean. Pigs will pick up TB, but don't seem to be quite as important a vector of it. But possums and deer—is there the risk? Are we seeing, you know, with the populations increasing generally in a lot of places, um, that a lot of the effort we put into particularly TB control could be at risk because of those populations of vectors increasing? Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, is, is the short answer. Um, we've seen a couple of outbreaks in the last uh, two or three years mm-hmm. of, of TB into some farmland, um, particularly in Hawke's Bay, Northern mm-hmm. Hawke's Bay and uh, down on the west coast mm. as well. So, yeah, ab- absolutely, you yep. know, it is a risk that is real and it is still out there. Mm. Yep. Mm. Okay. All right, we're moving along pretty quickly through these last ones, and this is one, I think, um, animal waste and carcass management. So it's not, but one of the things you're talking about here is there's a there's a, a cost or a challenge, hey, there's a carcass, we want to get rid of it, for good reasons, disease spread, but there's an opportunity perhaps in dead stock for some identification as well. Absolutely. So this is one of those ones that probably flies under the radar a little bit. Um, but that is, you know, we know that stock sometimes die mm-hmm. um, and, and you'll find a carcass somewhere. Now that, like you say, it does present an opportunity. If it's relatively fresh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> relatively fresh, yeah. um, there's the opportunity to perform a post-mortem yeah. on it. Um, if you have suspicions about what might have caused it, mm-hmm. uh, caused the death, 
um, and, and you're confident in doing it, then you can potentially open up that, that carcass and have a look at it um, to confirm your suspicions. Might not be for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, fresh. Yeah, yeah. But if, it, if it's fresh, um, you know, then definitely it, it's worth asking your vet if they mm. can show you a couple of tips yep. and tricks on how to do it. Um, you know, when I was at, at Massey, um, you know, we were taught that the best time to do a, a post-mortem is just before the animal dies. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you, you really get yep. an idea of, um, of, of, of what's causing it. Yep. So, yeah, the fresher the better. Um, the, um, so we've got some really good material, um, actually, post-mortems of, of um, uh, lambs is, is a really important tool for, for causes of mortality. We've got a DVD on that, but um, for older stock, etc., talk to your vet's the best bet. To, I, I think talk yeah. to your vet's probably the best thing, unless you're, you're already confident yep. in doing it. Um, and, and it probably does help if you've got a, 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 you know, a couple of ideas, you know, mm-hmm. what, what could be going on. If it's a one-off... You might never find out what it is, yep. um, but if you've got multiples, then yeah, definitely I think get get your vet involved. If, if it looks like an outbreak of something mm. fatal, I'd, I'd get your well, vet involved. If, if people are going to you know open up, maybe they've got a sick animal, they they euthanise it and then decide to have a quick look at themselves. What are some of the key ones to be looking for? Maybe some of the they're not definitive, but signs of yonis, for example. What are some of the other ones you might have a look for? Yeah, so. Okay, so, so so one of the key things here, Aaron, is actually to know what normal looks like. Yeah. Um, because then you can identify abnormal mm-hmm. pretty easily. Um, so if you've done lots of dog tuckers or home kill, then you should have a fair idea what yep. normal looks like. So, yeah, something like yonis, for example, you'll notice that the um, what's normally almost a transparent sort of um, membrane that holds all the guts, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the intestines, and that'll go all milky and, and yep. quite thickened um, and and generally just look... You know, really different. Um, you can always, you know, you can look for changes in the liver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, a healthy liver should be, you know, have nice sharp borders and be a, a mm-hmm. sort of a lovely dark purple yep. colour. Um, but then they they can actually change colour to to almost brown or coppery mm-hmm. colour. Um, they can have you know spots and things on them depending yep. on the disease and, and change shape quite drastically. So so there's things like that to look out for. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's just checking. Know what normal is, know what's different, and if you find something, you may not need to have to diagnose it yourself, but then it's time to ask the vet to come and have a look and say, what have I found? Absolutely. And then moving on from that is what you do with it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, if you do have a carcass in in the paddock or in an area, you know, yards or wherever where other animals can um, can can investigate it, you know, I'd highly recommend Moving it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. moving it, and disposing of it to a place where they can't, mm. where, where they can't get access to it. If you don't know what's killed it, and it could be something contagious, mm-hmm. then I think you know that that's fundamental. Really, yeah. you also, if possible, want to dispose of your carcasses somewhere where dogs, cats, um, etc., can't mm-hmm. get to it. Um, you know, somewhere fenced off, potentially electric fenced off. Yeah. You know, deep pit that um, you know that other animals aren't going to get to. Yeah. Yeah, so it mm. needs to be uh, below ground is always the preferable. Pre- preferable yeah. and away from a water source. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So depending on where your your water table sits, mm-hmm. um, you might want to just check. Um, <laughs> you yeah, might just yeah. want to check that one. Um, in some parts of the country, uh, it's probably a good idea to check with your council first before yep. digging anything like that. Yeah. Yep. Now, one of the other you talked before about you know some of the gold standard um, recording etc. is in pig and poultry industries mm. in New Zealand, and we can learn a bit from them. I guess partly that's because they're often 
not always, but often confined and or indoors and those sorts of things, um, which we don't tend to have in sheep and beef. But there are opportunities, and you've actually listed the yards, wool sheds, calf pens, are when we do have stock, often undercover, confined, close contact. Um, there's some issues to think about there? Yeah, really uh, around the waste mm-hmm. management from those. So, um, you know, if like me, you grew up on a sheep farm, um, you probably have memories of getting in under the grating and <laughs> <Yep>. uh, yeah, <laughs> and and cleaning out the waste underneath there. So, you know, it's it's what you do with that um, afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, where where that stuff goes now. <sighs> I've put it on the veggie garden and, mm-hmm. and then um, next spring had a, a wonderful crop of fat hen and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and stinging nettle. Um, so, you know, you need to think about that kind of thing as mm-hmm. well. Um, calf pens is a big one because, you know, calves mm. often, you know, they're, they'll be scouring, they'll have very, you know, they mm. don't have very good immune systems right off the bat and so they can be um, pooing out all sorts yeah. of stuff. So, you know, cleaning out those calf pens and disposing of that waste is is quite an issue, really, mm-hmm. because they often carry the kind of things that can make people sick as yep. well. Um, but then the other side of that, Aaron, is is that you know, ninety nine percent of animal waste mm. um, poo does not end up under the wool shed yep. or in those pens. It actually ends up out in the paddock, mm. um, and so that brings us back to parasites. Uh, to a point, and so that's where we can start thinking about how we manage stock rotation um, policies mm-hmm. you know, and, and movement of stock classes, maybe cattle after sheep or vice versa, um, to to manage those parasites um, so that we don't have to rely on drenches so yep. much. Cool. Mm. And uh, I mean, yards and wool sheds, not so much. I mean, obviously for calf pens, cleaning them out, sterilising them, that sort of thing, disinfecting them is important. Is there any uh, benefit to that? I know. Uh, yard management with irrigation to stop pleurisy pneumonia was always for areas that are bad, but is there any other reason why we may disinfect and or clean out um, wool sheds and the likes, apart from just getting rid of the waste that's accumulated? Yeah, yeah. well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we've already talked about how nose-to-nose contact between animals mm-hmm. um, can spread disease, but um, you know, when, when animals um, nose or, or lick um, walls, posts, mm-hmm. whatever, um, you know, they leave behind that residue, that saliva yep. or, or whatever that may contain, mm. um, yeah, bugs. So, yeah, by cleaning and disinfecting, and mm-hmm. I've already mentioned that those are two different things, yep. uh, by cleaning and disinfecting, yeah, then we can mitigate that risk to a degree. I mean, I didn't, I was just one I saw on the uh, wall sheds, uh, you're not suggesting between every mob that come in, people should give it a spray clean. It's just an occasional annual yeah. clean out or something. Maybe give it a clean out before December, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. that kind of thing, and and I'm not suggesting um, you know walking around in a hazmat yeah. suit and, and, and spraying yep. disinfectant everywhere, um, because that cleaning and removing the the, the visible grime and mm. muck um, that'll do ninety percent of the job. Yeah, to be honest, because that's where the bugs live. Um, but but getting in and doing that disinfection, mm. that's really the icing on the cake. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, is it? It's often repeated that um, sunlight's a pretty good. Mm disinfectant and we're fortunate you know 99% of the time our animals are out and about in sunlight that which tend to just be an inherent advantage of New Zealand systems yeah I think it is absolutely Um, yeah so it's the the UV and Mm -hmm. and sunlight the ultraviolet light um, is is a really good disinfectant cool okay last point and this one sort of wraps it all together and again this one maybe people don't immediately think of it because this is nothing to do directly with our sheep our cattle our deer or anything like that but this is shared knowledge and understanding, and this is the people that are involved on the farm. Well, this is 
where it all actually yeah, starts working. Yep. Um, and that is, you know, if you've got staff on your farm, um, get them involved in biosecurity and, and really try and make biosecurity part of your everyday life. Now, some of the, the feedback that we had um, in our earlier workshops is that, oh, I'm already doing mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. I, I vaccinate everything yep. and I record all my nape movements and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but I guess, you know, people have sort of just seen that as normal farming yeah. practice. Yep. And, it, and it is, and that's great, but it's actually a biosecurity practice. And mm-hmm. so if you start thinking of it as biosecurity practice, suddenly all these other little things start, yep. you know, start coming to mind. And, and if you get all your staff involved... Um, then it, mm. it becomes normal. Okay, so I really encourage um, you know everybody on the farm to be involved in yep. developing their animal health plan and developing a biosecurity mm-hmm. plan. But more critical than that is actually using them because yep. otherwise it's just a piece of paper on the shelf. Yep. Um, but you know if you can set up sort of a, a, a monthly task like riding around the, the boundary fences and, and recording any weak spots you know that kind of thing yep. um, you know that that's mm. getting everybody involved and it's not just the staff on the farm it's um it's visitors as well potentially and yep. and and so so it could be visitors such as your truck drivers your your um stock agent mm-hmm. your vets okay yep. um you know your vets are a good source of information because they get to see What's going on around the district? Yeah, um, they can tell you what's what's cropping up, and you know what's maybe not happening at the moment. Um, yeah, and and so if you've got you know pony club or whatever going out over your over your land, um, you know you can give them a briefing to say, hey, look, don't spread diseases on yeah. my farm. You know these are the places you can go and these are the places you can't, for example. But then you can also say, well, actually, while you're out and about, if you see anything unusual, mm. can you please let me know? Yeah. Mm. Now, it's interesting you talk about people come into the workshops and go, well, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. And we certainly see that in our farm environment stuff as well, mm. that a big part of us saying this isn't a revolutionary change, you've got to change everything. So look, 80% of it or 90% you already do, there's some fine-tuning some opportunities everybody can learn more but also i think what when other people are involved you the farm manager the farm owner you know this stuff you're doing it it's just part of what you do but you can't assume family members new staff etc actually have that inherent knowledge and it's about sharing it with them and sometimes writing it down is the best way to do that yeah exactly i mean we've just come out of the christmas period um and you know probably had visitors come up from town you know whatever cousins come up um, to spend Christmas with your family, you know, maybe they've brought their fox terrier mm-hmm. or, or whatever with them. Well, you know, has that dog been fully vaccinated? Is it, is it going to make mm-hmm. your dog sick? Has it um, been adequately wormed? You mm-hmm. know, is it going to bring um, sheep measles onto your farm? It's just it's little things like that um, that if you can, you know, first of all remind yourself, yep. but then start reminding other people, then, then that's when we're going to start reaching a new standard mm. um you know what's expected of people if they want to visit a farm yeah. in new zealand for whatever reason and speaking of dan the ovis man i've seen mm. um, one that had really got through <laughs> i said is um duck hunting and bringing dogs on and yep. stressing that they're one of the ways um yeah those dogs 99 percent of the year are off a farm but that one weekend yep. they're on a farm then they're a sheep measles risk absolutely and um another one that that i like to bring up possibly unfairly um yep. for, for our equestrian friends over <laughs> there is, is is the hunt club yep you know um when you when you think about if if the hunt club comes onto your farm um for, you know for one of their events then potentially i don't know let's 
pick a number. Say you've got 50 horses, mm-hmm. um, and each of those have come from a separate um, property. Yep. They've all brought their own bale of hay. Mm-hmm. They've all brought their own <laughs> horse float with mud under the mud guards or in the tyres or whatever. Yep. Um, maybe yep. you've got um, 30 or 40 hounds mm-hmm. have come yep. with, with the master or with the, with the huntsman. Um, you know, suddenly you, you look at these and you suddenly think, oh, gee, that's actually a lot of yep. little risks all adding up in one weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, and where are those hounds going and where are they whittling and pooing and, and you know where are those hay bales getting fed out and what seeds are coming with them so it's just little things yeah. like that I'd urge people to think about yeah alright so look we've covered a whole lot of stuff as I say we'll put the links in the blurb for this but we do run these workshops and um, I guess on this last point it's, it, it's not just farmers if you want to bring your staff etc along they're more than welcome to come along in these and be involved as well it's about getting those little things and writing it down and sharing it. So. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had um, stock agents, contractors, and, and that come along to these as well, um, which has been really valuable to, to get some insight from them um, as to how they manage um, biosecurity risks as well. So if people want to know more, we'll put some links in there. There's an online module actually to work through. You can do a wee workshop yourself um, in the comfort of your own, own home just on online on Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Knowledge Hub. Um, our friends at Dairy NZ, Osprey, etc. have all got really good web- websites. But look, let's wrap it up. What's the key take-homes, Will? Right, um, yeah, just to reiterate what I said right at the start, you know, this is about reducing risk, okay? Every little bit helps. I'm not suggesting you build a great concrete wall around your farm yep. and, and prevent everyone coming mm-hmm. in or out um, because that would just be silly, but it's about reducing those risks. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what I said, you know, towards the end of the podcast there was, um, you know, try and make this part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. If we can form that habit to, to you know, make sure we've got our ASDs, we should be doing that anyway. But, you know, every visitor that comes on, make sure they're aware of where they can go, where they can't go, have they cleaned and disinfected their equipment, etc. Um, and really, yeah, if you haven't already, um, talk to your vet about an animal health plan because it will make life so yeah. much easier. And it's, you know, as we say, and it's come through, you know, it's not necessarily about doing 101 different new things. It might be one or two. Mm. Most of what you're doing already, it's refining those, writing them down. And ultimately, it's about, um, as you say, reducing risk. We may not keep these diseases out, but if any of them arrive, we want to minimise the, the time and the impact they, they're here for. Absolutely. And we don't, want to, um, we don't want to pass them on to our neighbours. We don't want to be yep. that guy, do yep. we? Um, yeah. And, and we just want to keep our patch safe. Brilliant. Protect your patch. Right, anything else, Will, that we've missed? Brilliant. Thanks, Will. Well, um, uh, Will Halliday, Senior Advisor, Biosecurity and Animal Welfare at Beef and Lamb New Zealand. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Aaron. Pleasure.